You know I'm right. The podcast that uncovers the origin stories of some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, and so much more. Nick Durst here along with Joe Calabrese. And Joe, very excited for our guest today because he's an entertainer, he's a broadcaster, he's a sports fan, and he's a former colleague of mine. So why don't you let everybody know who we have with us here today on You Know I'm Right. Yeah, once upon a time, you worked uh, for DAZN and you worked on a specific show that we'll get to. Uh, he's bounced around, but he has been an anchor at ESPN previously, works for Telemundo now. And... Uh, Fredo, he didn't break our hearts today because he's doing this podcast with us. So very happy to have him on. Uh, Alfredo Lomelli, right? Am I Lomelli. Right. Lomelli. Yeah, man. Look, feel free, feel free to call me Freddy. It's Alfredo Lomelli. Alfredo Lomelli. Yeah, but Freddy's cool, brother. Nice to talk to you, Joe. Nick, always a pleasure, man. You are like one of the biggest brains for baseball I've ever met. And Joe, it's nice to, to get to work with you too, in a sense. Friday, we're reuniting here virtually after four years, four years ago, working at LB Network on the Zone show, believe it or not. But the the one thing that I first learned about you there is your is your nickname, Freddie Ballgame. So what were the yeah. origins of that? And I believe Scott Rogowski, HQ, former host, messed up that and called you Freddie Baseball a few times. So tell us about the origin <laughs> stories of the nickname and when he messed up your nickname. So, I mean, I've always been a sports fan. It's been one of those things where from the time I was little, like my biggest dream was to be an NBA baller and believe it or not, a track star. I used to watch like the Olympics and I used to be like, oh man, one day I'm going to be out there running the 100 meters when I'm, when I hear that gunshot and that, that never happened. And then I fell in love with baseball as a little kid. So I think sports have just always been a part of my life. And it was really Adnan Burke who really, once we sort of reconnected, because uh, I remember him from my time at ESPN. And then when I saw him again and I got to work with him, because I never worked with him back there, but I did, did work with him on his own, he sort of made it stick. And yeah, Scott Rogowski sort of, man, those were some good times. Um, there was a while where for me doing a three-hour baseball show would have seemed like, what? Can I, can I, can I do this? Because you know, baseball is all about the ins and outs and you have to know the game so well and love it and really live it, breathe it. And for me, it was such a great experience because I feel like that's where I truly maybe earned my nickname of Freddie Ballgame, not just as a fan, but also working with the greatest of the greatest of the industry, man. So that, that that's a little bit about where that came from. So what were your favorite teams growing up in Texas? And Texas, my favorite teams, it's always San Antonio Spurs die hard it's like I bleed black and silver and you're in black and you're wearing you're in a chain so it makes sense yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I mean that was really it was one of the best things that I could ever hope for any sports fan is to have the luck that I've had with the teams that I followed because as you know Nick I also really love the Houston Astros they're just a three-hour drive the champs, the champs, without cheating. You got to beat the man. You know what I mean? Talk about talk about reivindication. Um, but so it was always about San Antonio Spurs. It was always about the Houston Astros. I, I, you know, growing up, I always wanted to live in New York. So even like as a little kid in Mexico, I was always like, ah, I'm like New York Yankees. 
you know, so iconic. You could be in the smallest little neighborhood in my hometown and some kid would have a New York Yankees hat. So that's always been an iconic team for me too. And, you know, when I get into soccer, I'm a really big fan of Barcelona and everything that they've been doing. Um, yeah, but I would say like my top three teams all time would be San Antonio Spurs, Houston Astros and baseball. If I'm going into football, it's kind of like whatever's good. You know, I try to have love for the Dallas Cowboys. And then I realize that they just make it too damn. It's it's like you got to really suffer if you want to be a Cowboys fan. And I was Joe like, knows all about suffering in football. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's real suffering. Pushing it too hard, man. I'll, I'll stick with my baseball and my basketball and, and, and everything else. I'm just a really big fan of, you know? So, Freddie, when, when, when USA plays Mexico in soccer or baseball, where's your rooting interest lie? It's, it's Mexico. Okay. It's Mexico only because, and, and, and I say this as someone who, I'm going to use some trendy words here that I learned from all my PR people in the industry. I'm a 200 percenter, you know, and I do consider myself fully 200 percenter. Born in Mexico, raised in the U.S., 100% Mexican, but also 100% American, you know, I, and I take pride in that. There's just something about knowing, I guess, some of the privileges that, that a lot of athletes in the U.S. have that other third world countries don't have. And now, mind you, when it comes to soccer, Mexico's very well off financially. They get paid so well, it's crazy. But in terms of the development of athletes, Mexico's really, really bad still in comparison to the US. So there's a little bit of that underdog mentality where if Mexico's playing the US, it's almost like a statement. It's like, come on, yeah, this is, this is huge. What it's gonna do for kids to see that they could beat a powerhouse like the US is great. But the minute Mexico's out of the question, like I'm team USA, because these are the colors that have led to my success in my life and my lived reality. So I, I, I never dog on Team USA. The other day at the World Baseball Classic, I was, I was hyped for Japan. So hyped for Japan and Shohei and all that. But, but I wanted Team USA to win. You know, I wanted the US to win because I, I, I feel, you know, I feel the stars and stripes in my heart as well. All right. What year did you move? I'm sorry? What year did you move? Uh, I moved to the States when I was a kid, when I was seven years old. Uh, I moved to the States into San Antonio, but growing up in the heart of Texas, it's like basically it's kind of like Miami, but with a, with Tex-Mex instead of that Cuban flair, but it's all, it's like 49% Hispanic in San Antonio. So it, it's almost like you have those Latin roots, no matter what, when you grow up in Texas, I imagine similar to growing up in LA or, or New York, you know, maybe from, from different parts of Latin America, but it's that same vibe. So I feel like I never lost that. And, and interestingly, it only took about three months when I moved to the U.S. before I was speaking English oh, wow. perfectly. Because when you're a kid, you know, you pick up everything. You pick up everything. So it's kind of one of those things where, where, where I, feel, I feel both. And sometimes I'm a little troubled. And every time it's like one of those Mexico versus USA games, no matter what, it could be a Mexico versus USA boxing match. My family is always divided. Because you have the uncles that are like, what are you doing rooting for Mexico? You live here. You got to root for here. Go, you know? And I'm like, all right, Theo, chill. And then you have the half that they're like, no, but Mexico Roots. is in the heart. It runs through the blood. You got to root for Mexico. So it's, it's always an interesting time. But that's also what makes watching sports with friends and family fun is, you know, you got your perspective as to why you root for somebody. Sometimes it's just because you might like the players. And sometimes it runs a lot deeper than that. 
even if you're not necessarily invested in that sports team outside of this one occasion. So you moved around a bit and spent some time yeah. in Connecticut. Now you're in Miami. How much do you miss that Tex-Mex food? You know what? I, <laughs> I'd like to say that I miss it more, but truth is that I, I've had so much of it. And every time I go home, I have so much of it that I think it's okay to, to not have a million flour tortillas um, and a bunch of cheese and yummy, delicious chili sauce every single day for dinner. It's, it, it's kind of nice. Now, when I go back, I'm like, oh, is this heartburn or like, am I old or what the fuck's going on? Sorry. Um, but, but it is nice. Every time I go home, the first thing I do is I'm, I go to my favorite taco place and I'm like, get me a bean and cheese taco, get me a barbacoa taco, get me a big red. Big red is this red soda that they don't even sell it in many other places outside of Texas that I've seen. Um, and it's kind of like a Tex-Mex tradition. You have your tacos and your big red soda. Nothing better on a weekend. Friday, I think next time you're in New York, Joe and I could bring you to a really good Tex-Mex place in Woodbridge, New Jersey, right, Joe? Right. <laughs> oh, man, please. I'll, you know, if, as long as they have the handmade flour tortillas and the fresh beans and all that, um, you can count me in, man. You know, a shout out to this place, Jose Tejas, which is kind of the, the best tri-state area Tex-Mex place. And everything's pretty cheap, too. I'm going to quote you on that because I'm in New York a lot. So I'm going to do that next time. And I have family that lives in, in New Jersey. And I'm yeah. always in New Jersey whenever I go back. There's three of us and Adnan Verk heading out let's to do it. Out do it. We'll, sports, we'll talk movies. It'll be awesome. Yeah, let's make it happen for sure. So you, you, we talked a little bit about your sports background already, but that, you know, there was this time where maybe you were going to pursue a career musically. Very talented singer. So tell us about your, your childhood growing up singing. Before. Man, I couldn't even match pitch when I was a kid. So this is all, uh, this is all, it, it was something new in my life. So the way that worked out was, and, and when I tell you I couldn't match pitch, I couldn't match pitch. Elementary school choir, when we first got to the US, I walk into the room and the choir teacher's like, all right, let's see who's gonna be part of the choir. And she was like, match this pitch to everybody. And she was like, ah, and I was like, Bleh. I couldn't match pitch. It wasn't until I got older that kind of in, kind of because of my grandparents, you know, grandma on mom's side can sing really beautiful, rest in peace, she could, and so could grandpa on dad's side. In high school, I had never traveled outside of the state. And mind you, I was an immigrant for a long time as a kid. I didn't get my green card and become a permanent resident until I was in 10th grade in high school. So when I got to 11th grade, I found out that like our choir was going to Disney World at the end of the year. I was like, I've never traveled outside of the state. I really want to go. And at that time, my girlfriend was in choir. So I was like, I'm going to join choir and we're going to go to Disney World. And that's what I did. And sort of when I started making, I started making fun of these big voices. And so I would start being like, you know, making fun like you do in your room. You just start like you're making fun of an opera singer. I started doing that in choir because I was like, let me try to sound like that. Cause some of the people were really, really good. And then my choir instructor was like, Hey, you got a really good baritone voice. You should maybe think about like auditioning for like the regionals. And then if you're good enough, you go to like area and then you can go to state. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like I, I, I'm just here to go to Disney world at the end of the year, but it happened, man. It happened. Uh, obviously I put some effort into it once I was like, Holy shit, can I do this? I got to all state level. I, I did my thing. I went to Disney World. It was great. 
And then I was never a very good student. You know, I guess I'm one of those people where test taking comes easy, but the monotony of sitting in a classroom eight hours a day and, and this very like uh, meh type of system that I feel we have sometimes in the US, it was never my thing. So I managed to get a scholarship through singing to go sing at UTSA. And that's where it started. And then a couple of years later, me and a couple of my friends were like, let's go audition for this like Latin American Idol type of thing. And I went and I auditioned and I won San Antonio. And then I went to Puerto Rico and competed with these amazing singers. And I got to the top 20. And then that's how it all started because I knew I wasn't gonna win. I just didn't have the technical skill or the background to do it. But the doors of that opened up for me, Nick and Joe were amazing because I got out of that competition. Um, my first TV station called me up and said, hey, sorry you didn't win, but we saw that commercial you did while you were on the competition. We think you could be like a good TV host. Have you ever thought about that? And I was like, no, never thought about that. When I was a kid, sure, I was like, oh, I wanna be like that guy that like travels the world and is on TV, but never really thought it could happen. And so I really put all my effort into it. And I was really grateful to work with a great team on a really major network, even though it was a regional level at that time. We won some statewide Emmys, did super well. And that's where it started, man. And for me, my life, one thing that I've always had to try to fight with people about is for them to understand that like sometimes people want to put you in a box. So they're like, oh, you do sports. Oh, but you also do entertainment. Oh, no, that's, mm -mm. nah, man. The sports people aren't going to take you seriously. And, and, and the pop culture people are going to be like, oh, you got to choose one or the other. And I've always refused to do that because I'm like, how, like, how the hell are you going to tell me that I can't like what I like? That I cannot be an avid sports fan and sports journalist and at the same time like to go to a fucking Broadway show. You know what I mean? Like, who says yeah. that? So I've always really admired people who step out of that. And maybe that's been what has been one of my biggest challenges, but it also makes me me. So now that I'm older and I look back at what I've done and what I wanna do, I see the importance in honing in your energies. But when you're an immigrant like myself, who's just looking for opportunities and the universe is like, hey, bro, ESPN wants to work with you. The Zone wants to work with you. I get to work with amazing people like Nick and Joe and, and World Series champions. I've always had the sense of like, who am I to turn down a golden opportunity just because it's not what I saw for myself as a kid. And it's led to some amazing things. And I've made my family proud and I made myself proud. So it's been, it's been a wild ride, but I've always stayed true to myself. I've never done something just because it's a TV job. I've always made sure that it has to have a passion that I could put into it. And that's how it's been. And, and funny enough, it's like last December, I did a Christmas special and my producer was like, uh, hey, we want you to sing on it because we saw this video of you. And I was like, yeah, sure. So it's like, so it's like, it's like a full circle moment. Like I'm doing my hosting thing. And then I got to do a Christmas special where I got to sing and show that off a little bit. And I feel like life is too short to box yourself up and not be bold and take risks. And so actually after April, I'm entering my own bit of free agency. And now I'm sort of having to deal with this again. It's like, all right, well, like, like what's next? Let me, let me really sort of look at everything I've got going on, see where I wanna go, see what opportunities arise. And, uh, and that's where we're at, man, you know? And it's like, anything can happen because I never saw myself living in Miami uh, doing what I do. In, and, and trust me, I've seen big things for myself. 
they just never work out the way I thought they would. <laughs> yeah, Nick, he's breaking news over here. He's going to be a free agent soon. So Nick and I are yeah. ready come back on. We'll do the decision in 2023. <laughs> 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 so I want to ask you about uh, your time like at college. 10 people at that press conference. So, so I want to ask quickly about your time at college. Uh, what did you think you were going to pursue? It seems like you've always had people from the outside telling you you're talented and you should do this as opposed to what you were going to do. Uh, but also I wanted to ask the main differences between like the, the upper level of schooling here and once you get to college university, you know, as opposed to where you came from. I, I mean, I, I, ca I cannot speak to really where I come from because outside of the things that people tell me about like, the university systems in Mexico and all that. I, I know they're great. I have family that went through them. They're doing really good. I think it's more about the type of person that I am. I've, I've always been a rebel in terms of, I don't, I don't like to be boxed in anywhere. I don't like to be put, nobody puts baby in a corner. You know, I don't, I don't like to be, I don't like to feel like I'm just one of the sheep. I feel that that kills creativity. And so, so from, and, and I, I'm grateful, man. I'm grateful for like the free lunches that I was able to get growing up. I don't take any of that for granted. My family needed it. I needed it. So it's like the school systems here, I benefited from that government help. I benefited from just like my little cousins had to do and everything. Um, and I think it's great. I just think that eight hours a day going from class to class to class to class, you go to college, you get an awesome job afterwards. I think it's beautiful. It's not for every kid, you know? How are you gonna tell? And, and, and I myself, I'm not on the spectrum or anything, but sometimes I think I might be. I was like, why is this so hard for me to stay still for an hour? Why is this, why does this feel like torture for me when I wanna get out and be interactive? So, so for me, it was just that. For me, it was just, I'm, I'm not a good, I'm a student, but I'm a hands-on student. And sometimes I was feeling like that lifestyle was not gonna be for me. I was not gonna thrive. And I, I did it up until I could. And 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 trust me, I, I love school and I'm pro, I think everybody needs and should get an education. I just wish there were more options for people to really express who they are and to express their individuality as opposed to like everybody sit the same, everybody wear the same thing, everybody. It, it's just, I don't know if I'm explaining myself, man. I just think that there's a lot of people who are creative there's a lot of people who could benefit from learning in different ways. And, and now you can, right? So it's like, I studied radio, television and film production once. So I went to college, did the singing thing. Within the first two semesters, I was like, man, I'm grateful for the scholarship, but yeah, you guys are yelling at me because I'm singing an R&B song and you guys just want me to sing opera. Like, this is not for me, you know, respect yeah. to opera, it's not for me. And opera, I went to- Opera's the worst, Freddie, I just- Dude. I basically do a three and a half hour opera. No, I, I wouldn't want to. I, I, I had a bad experience with opera. I basically had to work once for, let's call it the NCAA office of opera. So like the mm -hmm. governing body. And it was the most snobby, horrible people you could ever <laughs> imagine. And they were so nasty. It happens. It happens, man. And so once I got out of that world, I studied radio, television, and film production. Shout out to San Antonio Community College. And that's where I really learned everything. That's when I started working in TV simultaneously. So I was learning about producing while I was doing my own TV show as a host. And man, it, 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 like, it's, it's all out there now. And that, that, 
that's what I truly hope people understand now is that now it's a different reality. Now you can learn anything you want to from the best minds in the world in any subject because you can go on YouTube and learn that shit. Or you can log into one of these like Coursera's or something and learn an industry you've always been interested in. Um, so even, even when it comes to baseball now, you can go to like chat GPT and it's like anybody can be a stat, not anybody can be a stats master. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I know that the, the research departments are, they, sh they should always be there and they should never be replaced by any type of artificial intelligence type thing. But it's like, you can become an expert in anything if you want it bad enough because now the resources are there. Absolutely. So you did the TV show, you get picked up to do producing on a personality, working with Univision. So what was it like doing that job and any nerves at first in that position? And ultimately tell us about how you ended up transitioning to ESPN Deportes. Yeah, absolutely, man. So that was, that was wild too. I just, I mean, what I learned from Univision was just that I can be myself and that that somehow was entertaining. And I, and, and, I, and I think I learned that I have what it takes to work with a top team. And that was so huge for, for my confidence and for my self-esteem and for my self-worth and et cetera, et cetera. Because it's like I start working and I'm working with some of the top local and regional producers, you know, in South Texas. We start winning Lone Star Emmys and we win five throughout the course of my three years there. And for me, I'm like, and then I go, I'm still doing my things outside of that. And I do a short film that does really well, well on the national uh, film circuits. And we go premiere it at the Los Angeles International Latin Film Festival and at the, New at the HBO New York International Latin Film Festival. And it was the most random thing, bro. An ESPN producer was at the screening of my film in New York at the AMC on 42nd Street. And she happened to be like high school friends with my director who's from South Texas. And she goes, Freddie, man, I saw the thing you did for the national morning show the other day. Great movie, by the way, but do you like sports? I was like, yeah, I fucking love sports, yo. I'm like, yeah, go Spurs, go, like, let's go. And she was like, okay, so ESPN is looking to launch a show. And I was like, stop, stop. You're, you're saying ESPN. And I gotta tell you, I love sports, but you're talking ESPN, you're talking about like, sports journalism at its finest. I was like, that's not, that's not me. And I have, because I have too much respect for people who dedicate their lives for what they do. So at that time I did initially say, I don't think I'm the guy. I don't want to embarrass myself or you on ESPN. She's like, chill, chill, chill. It's like, if you're a sports fan, you can learn the rest. What we want is your spark. And then what you're going to be doing anyway, it's kind of like a social media driven TV show. So it's going to be right up your alley. I was like, okay, cool. And I did it and it was great. And at first it was super difficult because it was kind of like, at first it was kind of like the devil wears Prada. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's the, it's it's the first movie. But it's like, I get to ESPN and, and, and you have, and they were very nice. People were very nice, but you kind of have like the, the, the mean crew who was like, who is this kid coming out of Texas who doesn't know how to pronounce Robert Lewandowski and you know doesn't know how to like it was like all of these things so so I had a tough time I was I was like there was there was a few people who kind of made my my initial time there a little bit difficult which I'm totally cool with now we're, we're homies everything is good but that really also helped me grow because I sort of realized that 
maybe I did kind of slide up in there, just like social media guy, I'm so cool, let's go. And they did make me realize if you're here, you have to earn your place on the floor. It doesn't matter if you got hired to do social media, you gotta be about the culture. And I dove right in, man. I dove right in, I was there six years. Um, thanks to this producer who saw my short film in Times Square, um, I got into ESPN. And, and that's absolutely wild to think about it now. Like, how the fuck does that happen? Like, how does that even, in what world can these worlds connect you to things that you love? But that's the magic of life, bro. And I was there for six beautiful years and they were so good to me because even when I was at ESPN, the MLB zone opportunity came up to work on the show Changer, which is where I met you and work with Lauren and Adnan and Scott and, uh, and Steven and so, so, uh, so many other people. So it was, it was amazing, man. And they let me do it. So I was like ESPN on these days. And then I would drive over to Sakak cause I was living in New York city. So it was like, all right, my commute is going to be to Bristol today. Tomorrow, my commute's going to be to Secaucus. And it was a really magical time for me, man. I can't, I, I have the fondest memories. It was in the pre-pandemic world. And, and you know, man, it's some of the best times of my life. So how did that opportunity come about for you? And also, any challenges for you to now do a show in English when you've been all your shows primarily in Spanish? And also, tell us about the time where you drove Scott Rogowski to Manhattan and you were in awful, awful traffic after a show. <laughs> Man, it happens, bro. So, um, all right, let's see. Wait, what was the first part before Scott? Because I so got how did, how did the opportunity come about to do oh, the stage or, and then also the any ish, any challenges for you to do a show in English when you're doing all your shows in Spanish? Oh, that's a really good question because yes, there was. So. I was working in Spanish so much. I had done some English, like at ESPN, I, I did a show called NBA Tonight, and I was working on Sports Center on Snapchat. Um, but that's different. Those are like, you do a 30 minute show, you're on air for maybe 21 minutes, your intro is gonna be like 20 seconds, and then you toss to Bruce Bowen, who's gonna take it away and, and just talk for two minutes, and then I'm gonna toss to break. And it, it's like very structured, and, and you can get the hang of it. You know what I mean? So when I went to work on a three-hour baseball show, I was like, okay, this is where it's at. And working in English, even though I primarily communicate in English and I feel like I have a better ease of, uh, you know, like I could talk to you right now, but when it comes to tossing to commercial break or tossing to a game, I realized that I would get tongue-tied. So I would sit in front of the mirror and practice that. I was like, why, why am I, why do I sound so stupid when I toss the commercial break? What's going on? And I would practice those things and practice those things. And then it became second nature. And that opportunity came about because at that moment, I, there was a time where I was doing, you know, I was doing really well at ESPN and they offered me a really big contract, but the whole Bristol life, to be honest, was a little bit depressing for me. I wasn't in a good place to be in a little small town like that with family and friends so close in New York. So when I decided to move to New York, I had to sort of, maybe I shot myself in the foot a little bit with my ESPN career because I was starting to do really big things there, but I knew I had to have happiness. Wait until the, sorry. Um, so I found my happiness by moving into New York City and that meant that I also could no longer be full-time with ESPN because that was Bristol. And so my agent and I started brainstorming, hey, what can we do? How can we do it again? ESPN was great. They were like, we'll allow you to work with other people as long as you know, we're gonna have to have some conversations. And so we started looking and it wasn't like it just fell into my lap. 
we started shopping me around and looking around. And he said, there's this really interesting thing produced by MLB Network uh, that's going to be on the zone. And I think you could be good for it. And that's where it all went down. And that's where I met Scott. And yeah, one time I gave him a ride. He had me drop him off like in the middle of some crazy traffic and Hell's Kitchen. And I learned so much from that guy, man. It was world-class people, him, Adnan Berg, everybody. And uh, Scott's just such a naturally fun guy. He's got this humor that I kind of, I don't want to say I envy, but in a good way. I'm like, oh, how is he so witty? Like, how, how is he so clever? How did he think of that right there, you know? But we all bring our own charm. So Scott was definitely one of the, like, I have such good memories with him. One time we made a bet on air and he had to get up on the desk and I think try to go for a hundred pushups or something. And I was just like eating popcorn. Uh, great people all around, man. Great people all around. So now that you mentioned a bunch of them, I got to ask you, Freddie, I need your rankings. Now, I'm going to exclude Nick from this specifically, but we got Lauren Gardner, we got Adnan Burke, we got Keith Rosari, we got Steven Nelson, Scott Rogowski, and Tony Luffman. We got six names over there. Rank them one to six. Ooh, the pressure's on. Rank them in what? What are the, like, what am I looking at? What's the standards here? Uh, uh, let's see. Hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to. How about just like who you, who you found to be the most open arms or the most, you know, the one you got along with the best. Yeah, I was gonna say who you vibed with the best. Yeah, I, I vibed with everybody in such Yeah, we know you vibe with everybody. No, 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 I really did. But I would say, I'm gonna be real with you. I think Keith, for me, Keith and Lauren were like my peeps. Those were the people, I and, and I got love for all of them. But for me, as, as soon as I saw LG and Keith, it's almost like, you know, when you meet somebody and there's like, oh, like, like you see me, like you see me. That's what I felt with them. It was, it was such a, a safe space for me, even coming from sports, first time diving, diving head on into, into baseball. Um, I felt really safe with them. I felt really like just able to be myself. And then with Adnan and Scott, it was kind of like that respect. You know what I mean? It was like, maybe these are people that I saw as like, also as like mentors. I was like, all right, they've, Scott's done so much. Adnan is one of the most respected names in the game. So it was that kind of thing. And then, I mean, Steven Nelson, bro, get out of here. Steven Nelson is like, who doesn't love that guy? You know, who, who am I, who am I, what, how else am I forgetting on the list? I'm sorry. Tony, Tony Lofman. Oh yeah, no, great, great. Awesome. I, 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 I don't have a million memories you know, with him, but, but everyone, everyone was great. So I can't, I can't rank them because they're all such good people. What I will say is that with, with Keith and Lauren, it was like, let's go grab a beer and let's go just shoot the shit. And, and we did, you know, and, but I keep in touch with all of them. I, I'm happy to see everybody keeps thriving. You know, everyone keeps thriving. Everybody keeps doing great things. And that's one of the most gratifying things because our industry is full of ups and downs. And I always turn to sports whenever I'm feeling down because you, you, you could go see a million movies and some of the best storylines you'll ever witness are in sports. The stories of like, oh man, like you're on top one day and the next day, you know, you're not respected. And how do you bounce back from that? Like, man, just like me, this player got out of the hood, but 
unlike me, they had this additional turmoil they had to go through. So whenever I'm feeling down, I remember these things and I'm like, okay, no, 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 no. If, if, if Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team, I can get through this depressing ass day that I'm having today. If you know what I mean? Like, it's just, uh, yeah, it's great, man. Everything it's, it's all lessons for me. And, and that's one of the things that I love most about sports and baseball too. It's the patience and the focus you got to have the it's, it's, it's so much. And, and I always draw from that. So it's like, before I come out on air, I don't care if I'm about to do a pop culture segment. I put on my music and I feel like I'm about to go do my at bat, you know? And, and after the show, I think back and I'm like, okay, how did I do today? What are my stats? Okay. I did. This is good. This is good. I watch myself. I'm like, all right. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a no hitter because then I put myself in like the pitcher's place. I was like, I didn't, I didn't throw a no hitter today, but it was pretty damn close. Like I, I did, I did, you know, I did good today. Or it's like, oh man, I was having an off night. I slurred right here. I mumbled right here, but it's all right. Because so do, you, favorite- do you, do you tend to watch back your shows sometimes? Yeah, I do. I do. I watch my shows back a lot because I used to never want to do that. And you got to face your fears, you know, it's, I think, I'm sure you've heard this a lot. A lot of us that are in front of the cameras all the time tend to not like the sound of our own voice and maybe tend to not even like the way like we look sometimes. So for me, the growth came from forcing myself to watch myself back and being like, oh, you really do talk too much, bro. You really do talk too fast, but let's fix it. Let's go. Because what do sports stars do? You watch the tape, you watch the tape and you get better. So I started implementing that. And once I started doing that, I did start growing exponentially. And I just became a better professional because if you don't watch yourself, how do you, how do you actually grow? You can't, or, or you grow very slowly. So let me ask you a question. Do you like watching yourself back with your older, longer flowing hair or your <laughs> shorter hair now? How tough of a decision was it to cut your hair? <laughs> nah, it was an easy decision, bro. It was an easy decision. I was like, because once you're a man in like the makeup room about to go out on, you know, the zone with your baseball show and the makeup ladies having to like put pins in the back of your hair to get your, to get your man bun just right. And it's like the sweltering heat of New York City in a subway and you got long hair, which I miss the long hair. I was like, let's cut this shit now. Let's cut it. Let's cut it now. It was easy, man. It was easy. I, it, it is a trip, but if anybody who's ever grown their hair can tell you that like that middle awkward phase is the worst. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll let it grow out again one day. I'm sure when I don't have to look presentable for the next three or four months or something, you know, but, but for now it's easy, man, but it's all about watching the tape, whether, whether, whether in what we do or, or, or an athlete or anything, man, you got, you got to get better and you only get better by being vulnerable with yourself too. Not just, not just the world. So you made the move to Miami to work for NBC Universal Telemundo Enterprises. So what was that whole process like there to get that job and then to make the major move down to Miami? Yeah. I, I think sometimes you get to a point where maybe you realize that you're growing not at the rate that you would like to where you are at. And so I was at the point living in New York city, working with ESPN, where I sort of said to myself, I have to make a move because, because I realized that me living in New York is, is sort of my ESPN career was going great, but 
budget cuts started happening. It's right around the time where they started cutting and not just there across the industry, you know, back in the day I was traveling the world covering the X games and going to the world series and going to the Super Bowl and covering NBA finals and doing so many different things. And then I started seeing so many people get laid off and, and, and it started happening over and over again. And so a lot of the projects I was working on, there was no longer any budget for those. So it was again, one of those organic things where it's like, I'm comfy, I'm comfy here with what I'm doing. And you start doing the same events over and over and over again, and it starts becoming a thing. And then all of a sudden, all of that gets cut. Fortunately, still had a job, but I sort of, again, I said, let's see what's next. Let's see what's next. And an opportunity came down to move to sunny Miami. And I, my heart's in New York City. I love New York more than any place in the world. But the opportunity came up. And it was something that really afforded me. I didn't, I didn't know how much of a blessing that would be until it happened. And I saw how bad the situation got with the pandemic and the lockdown. And I said, and I'm really down here in Miami, you know, playing outside every day. Uh, man, it was such a blessing. It was such a blessing. So I've been here for three years and I'm coming across the same thing right now, you know, because of everything that's going on in our industry. Now is also the point where I sort of said to myself, my contract is up in April. Do I want to stay where I'm at or do I want to change something? And, and it's time to change. You know, sometimes you don't, you know how contract negotiations are. Sometimes they don't work out. And as much as maybe, you know, sometimes you fight for your worth and you fight for what you think you deserve, sometimes the resources just aren't there. And so it's also that natural organic point to say, well, let's pivot now. Let's pivot and see what else there is to explore. And it's all love. It's all, and this is the first time I'm speaking about this publicly that I will no longer be with them after April. But there's a lot of things in the work, which hopefully we get to talk about another episode um but yeah man it was it brought me down to miami and outside of miami i've worked with some great people i've gotten to explore i've gotten to really also you know what nick and joe like realize the difference between pop culture and sports and what i love about working both and and i've realized too that each one has its virtues but what i really love about covering sports is that you only cover people who merit the coverage unless it's some crazy like Antonio Brown fucking scandal or, or whatever, like you're going to talk about that mess. But when we're talking about sports, we're talking about baseball, we're talking about Shohei Otani because he's the number one ranked player in the league, according to this latest list that came up. You know, if we're talking about Mike Trout, it's going to be because he's Mike Trout because he deserves it. Sometimes in the entertainment industry, um, you talk about people just because, somebody some of the higher ups are friends with them and they haven't had a project in two years but we still gotta talk about them because they posed in a sexy bikini out on the beach and somehow that's worthy of being put out on tv when you can get it for free on social media so i'm criticizing with love because i'm at a learning stage in my life but i've also realized that as much as i love the both of them now me as a producer I want to make sure that anything I put out is because they've earned it. And with sports, 99% of the time, that's what you talk about. People who've earned their name coming out of your mouth. I know that sounds so pretentious, but 
it's like you got to be good and so it's 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 been it's it's all been a learning for me because i'm also a producer i have my own production company that i started up in tw- at the end of 2021 and as i move forward you know these are things that i'm that i'm learning that i want to that i want to make sure that we give space to people who work hard to be in that space for their talents whether it's an incredible shortstop or an amazing up and coming singer you know that's what i really want so you do dances and for tiktok and instagram stuff so um kind of loop this into what you're doing with uh your other interests production wise uh do you plan on maybe doing more original content you know moving forward to get yourself out there a, a little bit more 100% 100% original content is key and creativity is currency in today's market so you know so some of those dances and stuff you know they're silly they're silly but stop taking yourself so seriously dude if my co-host wants to do a little silly dance with me i'm going to do it i'm going to do it if i feel like it of course but i'm going to do it because that also comes to the it, it comes to the era of like so many of us take ourselves so seriously so seriously and you got to understand that the generation z they're all about freedom of expression and light and love and it's 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 sort of where if if you are not a person of your time you will quickly be pushed out so i'll do my tiktok dances and then i'll go and i'll sit in my computer and i'll and i'm not even on tiktok a lot by the way but on instagram i do it a lot and then i'll go and sit down for like three hours and do research on a video that i want to do um you know and that's what i'm doing of course original content i still want to work with you know tv networks i still I, I, I'm more, more than ever because I don't want TV to be a dying industry. I, I don't ever think it will be, but it's changing a lot. So it's, it's, it's a format that I love so much that I want to keep working in, but also now through the lens of now anybody could be a creator if you have the creativity to do it. And you're competing with kids who are like 17 in their room, remixing a song, putting it to a video and getting 20 million views in a week. And that sort of speaks to how how available it is now to all of us to be who we really are. At a certain point, maybe because you were behind the scenes at MLB Network meant that you could not be the face of your own podcast. And now here you are doing it. And because there was no, there's, now you're in an era where you can do it. And it's like, why the hell wouldn't I be the face of my own show? Why? That's where we're at. It's why not? As opposed to why do it, it's a matter of, why not do it? I started my own production company and, and I have really big dreams with this. Why not? And why not start small? Yeah, right now I'm getting paid, me and my partner, we get paid to go shoot videos for organizations. Uh, I would like, you know, that's, 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 what, that's where I'm at right now. That's where I'm at right now. And keep growing and keep growing it and keep growing it. And hopefully, hopefully that's what it is. And if, if I can give any kids any takeaways is that the only limits that you have are the ones that you set for yourself, because I would have never known that through singing, I would find hosting and that through hosting, I would do independent films. And then through independent films, I I would get hired at ESPN. And then from ESPN, I could sort of double dip and be at the zone at the same time. And then, you know, it's just like nothing about this is something that anybody would have told you like, Oh son, this is how you do things in life. 
this this is the path you know nobody could have predicted that so you know that that that's what i really try to do whenever i get booked for public appearances to go speak uh, to go do Hispanic Heritage Gala, to go to uh, the the local college here in Miami and go to their film program and talk about production. Like, that's what I try to tell them is that the only limits are the ones that you put on yourself. And you learn that from your favorite sports stars as well. Man, those motherfuckers believe in themselves so hard. And they might be cocky and you might not like it, especially in baseball. I, I know that we still got a lot of the OGs that are not with the showboating and stuff like that. But had they not had, had they not had that sort of drive, they wouldn't be where they're at. And now they're putting on a show for people and making a whole new generation of fans fall in love with the game. And so for me, that's what it's all about. So as you can tell, man, I in my heart, I'm like a sports icon and I put, you know, this and I apply it to what I do, but only because it's so bold, only because those guys have to be so bold to get out there every day and do what they do and their their skin has to be so thick. Um, so yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I give you a lot of long winded answers, but it's cause I'm passionate and, and also grateful for the space that you guys are giving me right now to talk about this stuff. So Freddie, at what stop in your career, did you get your largest social media growth and how have you been able to use that to kind of leverage your, your, yourself and your notoriety? Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, look, my, my, my social media is is not huge, but it's organic. And early on, I learned that you drive yourself crazy if you worry about the numbers too much. So like my social media numbers, yeah, they're, they're growing. I'm verified on all the platforms and little by little, I'm getting my community and I'm grateful for it because it's organic. But that all comes with just being in a mentally stable place first. And it comes down to those little things like, I want to put this dance out there that I do with my friends. No, man, I'm too fucking old. I'm way too old for this, man. I'm like in my mid thirties and I'm really about to do the silly dance. That's so stupid. And I started realizing that as soon as I started giving less, you know what? It just, you gotta be you, man. That's what I learned about social media is that you share as much as you want or as little as you want, but make it you. So if you feel that, inspiration to put something out put it out don't worry about the likes don't worry about the comments don't worry about how many reshares it gets put that out and for me that's been the key to just being in a mentally healthy place with social media is understanding that one day i'll do a video and it'll get 200,000 views tomorrow i might do a video and it'll get like 800 and as opposed to being like <gasps> which so many people get like, and I've been there too, slowly but surely I'm at the place where it's like, as long as it's you, put it out. If it's you, don't try to put on this persona, don't try to do this thing. But if it's you, man, I put it out. And I reach, you know, a lot of people, I'm in the community, bro. I'm in the LGBTQ community. I have a partner that I've been with for four and a half years. And that's also been a part of it is just saying, man, if I can't love myself, how is anybody else going to love me? You know, so I got, I got to really love myself, put myself out there as I am. And people react beautifully. I guess, you know, as with everything, everybody gets a little hate from time to time. But when I get a message from like a kid in Ecuador and he's like, dude, I love how you were just covering the world series. And then 
you're on a boat with your boyfriend and and your cool friends in Miami. He's like, I never thought that that could be something that that anyone could do. It's just be natural and open and just live a normal life. And so like to me, that's when I'm like, oh, shit. All right. I'm making an impact. And then, of course, you have like 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 the youngins. I don't know how many messages I get from people who, who are in college and they're like, bro, I want to do what you do. How did you get into, how do you get into sports journalism? How do you get into this? How do you do that? And, and I, I take time and I answer every single message because I'm like, these are these are people that somehow look up to you. And who am I to be looked up to? You know what I mean? Like, who am I? This is this is something that that is it's an honor for me. So so I, I want to share whatever much or whatever little wisdom I have. Um, and to me, that's what social media is all about not just looking cute in pictures, not just like, I got a hundred thousand followers, not, it, it's, it's like, what impact can you make? And, and for me, it's led me to become friends with World Series champions, with Academy Award winners that I never thought, like, had it not been for social media, I, that would never happen. You know what I mean? And that's the impact of it. And at the same time, become friends with that little kid in Ecuador who can never come out until he gets the F out of his little town and it's also that part of it, like the scale is huge and the impact is meaningful. Even if I only have 29,000 followers on Instagram. Don't, 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 you know, don't brush that off. That's a very large following. But, you know, in, in, in comparison, and that's another thing I'm not comparing, but I say that to say, like, there, there's no, there's no small numbers. You can make an impact yeah. no matter where you're at with it. So what would you say in your life or your career is your, you know, I'm right moment. Assuming by that is a time or place where you wanted to pursue something, you ask somebody for advice and they're like, Freddie, that's an awful idea. What are you doing? Don't do that. And you were like, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And ultimately you will see why it is that I'm right. <clears throat> the big one for me was moving to New York City. You know, I get to, I get to Bristol and things are going really great. Uh, I managed to get an amazing agent, which was another dream come true for me. And after those first two years in Bristol, when I wanted to move to New York City, everyone told me I was crazy. I got offered a really great contract, more than I had ever made in my life. I was already doing both Spanish and English TV on, you know, doing my stuff. And when I saw, when I said that, my agent was like, you're ruining your life. Mm -hmm. You have been offered this incredible contract. You're being given this opportunity. You're ruining your life. Same thing when I walked into, you know, the talent office at ESPN. And, and I said, I can't take this, but I, I want this. I want to stay here, but I need to move to New York. I didn't know. I didn't know how to say it, but I said, I, I don't I know I have to move there. Bristol's not the place for me right now but you have my full dedication. And they also thought I was ruining my life. They're like, Freddie, you realize this opportunity that we're offering you, like people would dream of, not just working at ESPN, but also at that point, being one of those faces that they were about to put everywhere. And everyone thought I was crazy. What, what the fuck are you doing? I, I got a major, <laughs> instead of getting the biggest contract of my life, I ended up getting a salary cut to move to New York. And I had to, get up at five in the morning, hop on the 559 train from Grand Central Station into Stamford, Connecticut, 
my car was in Stanford because much easier to park in Stanford than in Manhattan. And then I would have to drive from Stanford into Bristol in order to make it in time for my 8 a.m. production meeting. And I did that. And I did that for another two years. And I had to sort of prove to them that I could do it. And then after those two years, they started seeing that it could work out. And then that's when I started getting like the car service and I started getting like, oh, you can stay in a hotel in Bristol when you come over. But that was my, you know, I'm right moment. Because at that point, I was being offered this amazing opportunity, but everything within my heart, everything within my soul was telling me like, no, you have to go to New York. You have to live that life. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. But what ended up happening was that because of that move, I got an incredible array of opportunities and I still ended up, ended up doing some great stuff with my employer while getting to work with another one, getting to really just become the man that I had always wanted to be. And it was really hard, man. It was really hard. But as soon as I got to New York, I knew that it was the right decision. And sitting where I'm sitting now, I know that it was the right decision because sometimes you have to turn down something that the world is telling you is right for you when you feel in your heart that you have to do something else. And that was my, one of my biggest, you know, I'm right moments is knowing that I had to stay true to myself, even if it meant that I might have potentially, you know, shot myself in the foot a little bit, which I don't look at it in that way anymore because I know that I did the right thing. One of the all-time great uh, quotes to that question that Nick always asks here at the end of the podcast. Freddie, we thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. I know you've met Nick before, the first time you've ever met me. Uh, hopefully we do get together in person. I think that's a great idea. Hopefully we go out to eat. Uh, Taz is a great place. You would love it. Joe uh, might be in Miami, but we don't know. We don't know where Freddie's going to go for agency. We don't know where he's going to be living. So we'll have to Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll probably stick around Miami for a while. But Joe, you got a, you got a new friend in me too, bud. And Nick, next time I'm in New York for sure, let's get together. Let's go have that text next food. Love that. Shoot ideas because I admire what you guys do. I admire the passion that you guys have. I admire like 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 the the balls it takes to say the like hustle, right? Yeah, bro, it's the hustle, it's the flow, and and you guys are experts in in, in what you guys do. So you guys are the type of guys that I most look up to right now in this stage of my life because y'all are go-getters and because y'all stepped outside of what maybe you thought you could do and now y'all are thriving. So you guys got a friend in me like, Porter Vida, look that up. Yeah, I don't judge. Sounds like, sounds like the last words there. I usually give our yeah, guests sounds the, last like the last words. words. And I you can't think of better a lot of words. <laughs> Excellent. I know, man. That's one of the things I got to work with, bro. I, 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 I'm a talker, so it's like I can... You just got to wind me up and I'm like, oh, which is why I could do a three hour baseball show in the first place. But <laughs> all right, Freddie, it's, it's been, been great. You can you can you sing us out? Give us a little uh, little goodbye swan song here. Glad I see. All right. English or Spanish. Let's go. <laughs> I'll sing. I'll sing you a little mariachi. Let's see. Give me a second, bro. I wasn't ready for this and I'm recovering from a cold. Um, so. Freddie's gonna sing us out here. So before we before he does, just wanted to say thank you to Freddie for joining us. And for my co-host Joe Calabrese, I'm Nick Durst, and this has been You Know I'm Right. Take it away, Freddie. Say that you'll stay a little. Don't say bye-bye tonight.
Say you'll be mine just a little bit of time is worth a moment of your life. Save room for my love. Save room for a moment to be with me. Save room for my love just a little. Save a little for me just a little. I'm, I'm about to leave it there, guys. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready.